So we're recording. All right. I'm going to start. And I guess I do the beginning. Oh, God. That's going to be terrifying. Who let me start? The host. I'm the host. You, the person that started the whole podcast. Yeah, I know. I guess I have to I have to start it off. This is actually the intro. That's the whole joke here. Hello, and welcome to the What Are We Doing podcast, uh, a podcast where a bunch of guys with a stupid group chat just come to talk together and we talk about sports. Today's first episode, of course, is going to be soccer with the uh, Premier League season just around the corner. We're going to talk about each team, and we'll just give you a play-by-play about everything else that's going on in the soccer world. And of course, we're going to start first with Messi. As you all know, Messi is not leaving Barcelona this year going to Man City they refused to let go of his 700 million buyout and so now we're gonna grab some quick quick thoughts and hopefully we'll give you guys some insight on this so let's start with Ito our resident Messi fan Ito your first reactions I feel a rant coming because oh god okay so let me start by saying this City and Barca lost in this like City doesn't get messy so they're not winning the, the title again. And Barca's still in this weird limbo of, like, having to develop new players and look to the future and also having to win now with Messi. So they're both, like, screwed, I think, for this year. But um, here's what I got to say. And, like, this is, it pains me. This whole, this whole situation just hurts so much. So, okay, so Messi. He's been on the team for, what, like, 15-plus years? giving them four Champions League titles, like six Copa del Reyes, multiple league titles. He's the GOAT, which is important to understand. Uh, like, that's undisputable. Um, but, okay, so you – so he has – what I what, from what I understand, he has this, like – sorry. He has this buyout clause of, like, 700 mil, but he could have – the release clause says he could have left it, like, in June if he told the – the club early okay like he's messy like let the man leave like he's given you 15 years like just let the let the dude leave and like do his own thing and so it just I, I hate that Bartomeu try to use him as a pawn to like clear up finances because he screwed up finances so bad and like and like the fact that they they have they're like under this quota of like making money and all this money is going to have to come out of his pocket if they don't get there. So that's why he's he's trying to get money off Messi. So if I'm Messi, just, like, sit the whole year, honestly. Just say F everyone on Barca. I'm going to, like, spend time with my family and just, like, hit the beach every day. Like, I'm not going to training. And so then, are you yeah. suggesting for Messi to sit out a year, you know, wait for his contract to be up? Are you saying he's going to pull a Le'Veon Bell or, dare I say, Antonio Brown? I think he should. Just, like, just – Wait till 2021 when his contract expires, send his ass to the Premier League, and then that'll be that. Like, if I'm messy, I'm done with Barca. Like, I'm done. I, I also wanted to add, like, not only are both Man City and Barca, like, kind of screwed by this, but the fact that Man City has spent so much time on Messi's transfer has gotten in the way of other transfer business like you see guys like Kai Havertz going to Chelsea and Hussam Awar being linked to Arsenal might go to Arsenal those are two guys that if City had at the start of the window wanted to go for they probably would have well they would have had the money to sign someone to that caliber so not only are they like 
spending too much time on someone that now they're not going to get, but because they did that, they're not going to um, spend money on the players they need to, to make sure they beat Liverpool next season. Anybody else got any points to make about Messi and the whole debacle? Yeah. I feel like City are in the better position than Barca are. Mm-hmm. Just because Barca are so fucked right now. Barca is so they're, fucked. They're so just, they're in, they're in this weird limbo where it's just like, I felt like after Messi, Suarez was the only person that really cared. Yeah. You know? And mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, City signed some people before they went on this whole messy chase. And we will get to that. We will get to City and who they've mm-hmm. signed this offseason. So, yeah, but, we will. We will. But yeah. you're right. I agree. Man City spent way too much time pursuing something that they didn't even acquire. And now this puts them really far behind a lot of the other top clubs in the Premier League. Simon, do you got anything to add before we move on to yeah. the next segment? I mean, you could, uh, you could say that this is the lowest point that Barca has been at with Messi for sure, but debatably in the 21st century, like legitimately, like their academy is not producing the same amount of talents as they were beforehand. They are kind of in this limbo where they're like the biggest club in the world, but they don't really have that sort of uh, every year being in like the UCL semis. They don't have that sort of like, Juventus like Bayern kind of appeal where they're like at the top of the top they don't have that anymore and Messi is like the only Messi and a couple of uh, the other older guys like PK Jordi Alba are the last remaining like old genuine Barca left there and with Koeman coming in he could maybe potentially like restructure Barca and give him an actual identity but with Bartomeu I don't really I don't really see how how anyone would really want to work like together in that kind of situation. So the question I'm going to ask for everyone is it was it coaching that led to the downfall of Barcelona? Not we're not going to talk about ownership. We don't care about the money as of right now. But more the question is, was it the coaching that let Barcelona fail in the past couple of years? Or is it that the fact that they have not been able to develop players like they used to? I mean, let alone look at the center back position. PK is not getting any younger. They haven't really replaced him. So nope. the question lies in the fact, has it been the coaching's fault or has it been the academy's fault? I mean, I would say it's kind of both. But, like, the best example is, like, this year, Barca loaned out Coutinho and he got a treble with Bayern. And so, like, what does that say for the state of your club when you make a record signing of, like, 140 million pounds to get this guy? And then you loan him out and he wins a treble with another team when he could offer you so much for your team. And then he comes on, he subs on in that game that they lost eight to two, scores two goals and, and assists one in like 15 minutes. Yeah. And it's just like, that's just a bad look, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's just kind of been so many years of bad transfer business for Barca to put them in this position where they're signing guys like Nelson Semedo, all these guys that are like, decent but never reach the potential that Barca should be asking of them not the Galactico type of players that we expect Barcelona to get is that like, in the agreement like, with everyone yeah. Yeah, I'd say, I'd yeah, say I that yeah. I mean but, they got sorry sorry you guys go no, I was I mean, say, why are we signing Braithwaite like why are we <laughs> fuck <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense like yeah. Like, 
Garza's like like their existence for the past five years have been like season to season, like just living by like they have no continuity. They sack a coach after max two years, and I think I think the main reason is because Messi's moved from like a natural winger position to this like play like you know uh, playmaker like centralized position, and they don't know how to use him effectively. And like the system's always been now the system's always revolved around Messi, but like they can't they can't get the most out of it. And so I think yeah. there's also something to be said about development in terms of the players they bring in. Because like you were talking, Will, about um PK and the center back pairings and all that type of stuff. But they brought in Umtiti, who was at the time they bought him, like really highly rated. You know, he has all the physical tools necessary to be a great defender, but they didn't develop him properly into this Barca system that is always changing, like Ido said, with a new coach every two years and a new system and to do everything. So they're bringing in at least on paper quality talent. They're just not properly integrating it at all. It seems more like a jumbled mess. Yeah. I mean, I think getting getting rid of Neymar in the fashion that they did mm. and absolutely throwing all 220 million or I don't even know how much money it was just basically getting rid of it with Griezmann. Who else did they bring in? They brought in Dejong, I think. It was like Malcolm at one point. Malcolm. All of these players who kind of, they were there like in talent and productivity, but like they never like could replace the kind of attacking creativity and longevity that Neymar had, especially with the chemistry that Suarez, Messi and Neymar had, obviously the best attacking trio of all time mm-hmm. so like and I, I mean it just seems ridiculous to have the 220 million just kind of burnt in a way it seems like like they could have went in for way more kind of developing players instead of people that they thought sounded good or big names like I will make the last point before we move on, which is I in the names that you mentioned, just not Griezmann because he was already developed, but De Jong and Malcolm were very yeah. young, very raw, and they are the type of players that I believe Barcelona in the past would sign and would have them be developed because of the stars around in Barcelona. And it was very obvious and clear that De Jong and Malcolm have not made the next step and have not taken on that developmental role that usually the development that comes with signing with Barcelona so that's something that we will look on into the future but now we're going to move on to our favorite league which is the Premier League and of course last year's champion was Liverpool to all of our hatred because we all hate Liverpool and Eh, I'm fine with them okay well not Simon so we don't like Simon anymore that's okay but canceled Simon's canceled, folks. But we're going to just go over each of the teams, talk about some of their signings, how their lineup looks, and we'll just discuss about them, and hopefully we'll give you guys better insight. And we're going to do this alphabetically, and we're going to start off first with Cole and Simon's favorite team. They are, baby. Arsenal have been very busy yeah, this summer, or whatever there has been of this summer, making some very big signings like Gabriel from Lille, uh, getting Ceballos back on loan from Real Madrid, um, revamping their uh, fullback position, getting Cedric, and then, of course, atta- helping out the depth in the front with signing Willian. So, to our Arsenal people, how do you think the team is going to look next year? 
which of these signings is going to make the biggest impact and you know uh is arsenal going to really go back to being this great club again uh well personally i think that not only the players that already came in being gabriel and william well those are like the biggest standouts cedric was kind of already there floating but gabriel is going to offer what we haven't had, which is a left-footed center back that is going to be hopefully consistent and paired with Saliba, who also came in this uh, or is coming in this season. And they're going to hopefully offer a lot of stability in the back line, especially with Tierney, who's going to play his natural position at left back. So we might actually see a good Arsenal defense backed up with a, a really good goalkeeper maybe even the best goalie in the Prem, just saying. And we're going to hopefully try to reinforce our midfield, but we'll see how the party and Awar talks go. Um, if we get those two players, then I could see us finishing top four. Okay. But, but this is also considering how stacked the Prem is in general. I mean, we do have one of the best strikers in the world in Aubameyang, and we are showing intense interest in youth players and a restructuring of the club's uh, identity with Mikel Arteta, who is the fucking goat. I'm sorry, I swore. But it's okay. It's true. And, uh, I mean, beating Man U, Chelsea... Uh, Tottenham, Man City, Liverpool, getting the FA Cup, obviously, the way that we did, is a huge, huge, huge momentum swing in our favor. And I hope that'll uh, kind of bring us to a rolling start at the beginning of the Prem. And uh, Cole, you have anything to add on this, or you think Simon covered it all? Um, Simon did a pretty good job. I will say the the fact that bringing in Gabrielle means that if we have Tierney, Gabriel, Saliba, and Bellerin as our back line, now we, all, we have a group of guys, 24 and younger, who are all about the same age, who will grow together. I'm sorry, real quick. Bellerin's under 24. I'm pretty sure Hector Bellerin's like a thousand years old. No, he would be the oldest person in our back line. And he's, he's like, like, what, 25? Yeah. I think, I think, wait, I think so. Well, 25 yeah, years old. He's around, he's around that age. But, but the fact that the four of them will grow together as a back line and there won't be a lot of change in that defense for the next couple of years. I feel like says a lot about not only um, where Arteta wants to take this team, but the fact that him, he was already investing in the current squad. So I'm excited to see what that back line will look like two years from now, um, just because his ability to take the squad that we had and make that squad able to beat teams like Man City and Liverpool, which six months ago, I didn't even think was a possibility. I think just speaks to his ability. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see if we can get our or party. Um, I heard that Torino might take Lucas Torreira off our hands, hopefully, mm. if that transfer goes through, as well as um, selling Socrates. Hopefully, we'll, we'll have enough money to sign at least one of them. Um, but if it was up to me, I think I'd rather have our just because we're missing what Mesut Ozil was, which is that creative number 10 role guy. Um, just because in Arteta's system, he asks a lot of every player and he needs his attacking players to drop back and deep 
back in defense and, and, and have a high motor, something that Mesut Ozil at this stage in his career does not have. I feel like Awar just kind of fits perfectly into the team, especially now that we re- re-signed Ceballos. Um, Shaka and Ceballos last year were a great pairing. If we throw Awar in front of him and then have Alba, Laka, Pepe in the front with Willian coming off the bench, that feels like a very solid team, um, especially with the likes of Bukayo Saka, Eddie Nketia, um, guys from our youth development that are developing at the senior level. Um, it's it's just very exciting, you know? Yeah. Now, getting rid of... Um, oh, go, go Simon. You're well, I was just going to say, I mean, getting rid of uh, Deadwood and a bunch of a bunch of high wage players is going to be uh, crucial to our development because I think that's part of the problem that Arsenal had pre Arteta is that we kind of held on to these kind of old players who Emery or Wenger would be like, well, maybe they're going to be able to like play the way they did and maybe they deserve these kind of wages. But it seems like we are hopefully going to be willing to let go of those kind of bench warmers. Like, if Ozil doesn't play consistently, I don't see any reason why he should stay because he's getting some, like, I think, like, 300000 a week or something. Like, absolutely do not need him just rotting on the bench. Either play him or, like, let him leave, man. Like, he's going to enjoy Inter-Miami if he goes there. I, and, I will uh, say, though, as a, as a person who likes money, uh, I would love to get paid 300000 a week to just sit on the bench. So, Arsenal, call me. I'm available. Uh, Ito, Ewan. Your guys' thought, are you buying into their Arsenal hype or do we are we expecting a more uh, recent performance of Arsenal in the past couple of years, which is all talk and no show? I feel like it, from an outside fan perspective, it's hard to buy into the Arsenal hype just due to, and I know this might, this is going to sound hypocritical as a United fan, but it's hard to really trust it until you see the results on the pitch. So like, I agree, I think, the talent and the potential is all there, especially with Arteta. And it does feel like he's bringing a real kind of culture back to Arsenal. So I feel like everything is there for things to go right. It just now has to go right, you know? Ido, anything to add on top of that? I mean, Arsenal finished – Arsenal was probably the best team in the league in the end of the season, to be honest. And, I mean, they're still relatively young, and that's concerning. But, like, I think Willian was a sneaky good signing in terms of developing Sokka and, uh, and Pepe. I think he's going to give him a lot of good minutes off the bench and then also just, like, in practice and stuff, how to beat, man, how to beat their, their man one-on-one and stuff. So I think that's going to be an, a really big boost for depth and then just development. Yeah. And the uh, last question I have, we talked about it earlier, about Arsenal moving back to a back four. If they move to a back four, what does that spell for their midfield? Are they going to have a traditional 10 behind Lacazette? Are they going to do a Tottenham 4-2-3-1 where Aubameyang and Pepe and whoever would be in the cam role were constantly rotating? What does this say for Xhaka and Ceballos, uh, our two resident Arsenal fans? Is there any concern that moving to a back four could hurt this team? I feel like the the whole reason why we've been playing 3-4-3 has just been a lack of solid center backs just in yeah. general for this team and obviously David Luiz has had his best success in a back three so I think Arteta will be very comfortable switching back and forth between formations especially Tierney playing at left center back and having success there 
than a guy like Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who has been great as a depth piece to play as a wing back. I think that'll be an easy transition. But in terms of a back four, I feel like if either Awar or Party come, they will be the third member of that midfield. I could see Ceballos probably moving up the pitch a little bit more. He's probably the most creative out of the three of them. Um, but if Awar comes, he'll easily be the highest up the pitch. I think Shaka and Ceballos as a double pivot last year were really successful together. So that's why I would prefer signing Awar to Party because I think Shaka and Party kind of have similar roles. Obviously, Party's a much better player, but Shaka was Arsenal's best midfielder last year. And I feel like signing Party, while it will help us overall, won't help as much as signing Awar. I would say that, I mean, to go back to like the back four thing, I think the back four in general is kind of a stronger suit for Arsenal because we're going to have players like Tierney and Bayerin kind of anchored. Like Bayerin runs up and down and so does Tierney, but there's not going to, there, there isn't this kind of wing back situation where they're constantly going to be like going back and forth and having this crazy like midfielder dynamic. So having a back four in general just kind of gives more support to the defense, especially if the midfield is going to be better on defense, because that's the big problem with uh, Arsenal in general. We're kind of notorious for not having the best defensive midfielders. If we get party, I think I would be more happy with that than getting Awar, because I think Ceballos would be good enough at progressing the ball forward. Because if you look at just the way he plays, he's great at getting out of those tight pressure situations, dribbling very close to himself. He knows where to put the ball. He uh, he has a very high, uh, I would say, like dribbling IQ. Like there are some players that are going to like put the ball off and then it's going to get intercepted instantly. And we don't need that. And Jacques is a good enough passer. So Party would kind of bring in more of a defensive-oriented midfielder role, and I think we would need that more, especially considering our attack is pretty freaking great. Like, it's probably going to get it, the job done. So I'm just m- more worried about the defensive side of the ball, and that's why I think the back four will be better. And not, Oh, and to add on to that, Tierney is just a god that deserves to play in his natural position, okay? We have to respect Tierney. He is the best left back in the league. I don't make the rules. I just say him. Well, as much as I would love to see you and Cole argue about which guy Arsenal should sign and how the midfield should look, there are unfortunately 19 other teams that we do have to talk about, much to your guys' liking. So next up, of course, is the villains, Aston Villa. Last year, barely survived relegation. We didn't, they only made one signing this summer in Matty Cash, who will now be their starting right back. So the question for everyone is, is that, do we see Jack Grealish go during the season or after the season? They should have got relegated. To- oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, without a doubt, they, they got lucky that they survived. But <clears throat> we think, I, I honestly believe Jack Grealish is going to get sold, especially if they don't stay up right uh, this season. I think this is really important for him and his development. If he wants to be considered a star, he's got to move. And I mean, a team, like what would be a perfect spot for him? What would be, I mean, obviously anywhere would be a perfect spot with his type of talent. And skill. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I see him going to United. This seems like a typical United yeah. signing. Uh, you and yeah. as a United fan, does it make sense for him just to go straight to United? I think it does. I think... He 
his personality, because Ole is really trying to bring in guys that are good for the culture. And as good as Grealish is, he does have a bit of like a wild streak in him. So I feel like that's what it is. But if we're just talking about the player on the pitch, you know, he can play in uh, like an attacking midfield role. He can also play out on the right wing, which is a place we desperately need someone of high, who's like a natural right winger. Mm-hmm. But to bring it back to Villa, I think like they need him to produce like a Premier League player of the season type season for them to not be in the exact same situation again come the end of next season. Yeah, I would I would throw a wild card in there and say, what if Wolves signed him to replace Jao Matidio? Oh, that's that's interesting. Did, think Wolves, does Wolves have the eighty million to release Jack Relish? Is the question that is right now? What I mean, Jack that's a good Relish, question. But they might end up getting him for a little cheaper. They might end up getting him for a little cheaper because there's you know we joke about it, but like big clubs have to pay more. Yeah, and there's a United tax, so we're seeing like the eighty million there. But Wolves might get him for fifty-five, sixty, maybe. And then actually, along the lines of surprising takes and such, is there a player that you think that could get signed? I mean, sold from Aston Villa that would I think uh, that comes in and will immediately help a team. One player that comes to mind is definitely Tyrone Mings. Mings has been a very consistent center back. He's proven to play well at the uh, Premier League level. You and I know I saw you shaking your hand in disagreement. You're right. The consistency isn't there, but to him, to him to be on a team like, for instance, because it's easy for me to do this Tottenham and be the second center back for Toby Aldeverell, not be the controlling, captaining man of the defense, Tyrone Mings seems to be someone of very high value in that role. Tyrone Mings would need someone who would literally grab him by the throat and keep him in check. Because we've seen him at Aston Villa really back off his attacker and give him too much space and not be aggressive enough. So he would need someone who's like a true like number set like a number one center back. Really grab him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Uh, you know, the, the felon. The felon. Hey. Have you seen that third He'll literally grab him, him by the throat? That's the literally he will grab, grab him by the throat, throat. kick his shins. That's but, a good nickname for Harry Maguire. That's all, the felon. Well, that's only if Ty, that's only if Tyrone Mings is Greek. If he's not, it's fucking. <laughs> well, I don't think there's much else to talk about Aston Villa. Definitely, we're going to look at them to be relegated this year. This is a team that's definitely going to be fighting off relegation the whole way through. And if they're down early in the bottom, look for Grealish to be. Uh, sold in the winter transfer window, especially if a team like Man U or even Man City per se is close to the top. Moving on next, we got Brighton. Now, Brighton, of course, also barely survived relegation last year, but I think personally they've made some really interesting signings in which they'll help themselves up. They got Lars Dendonker, who is the younger brother of the other Dendonker out Mm -hmm. on Wolves. Uh, He will really help out a lot in their uh, back line, along with Joel Veltman from Ajax. Uh, Mm -hmm. He'll come in and play that right back spot, which I think is, uh, you know, just securing your back line is good. And then what I think is their sneaky good signing is getting Adam Lallana to make sure to keep up their attack. I know Lallana's old in a thousand, but compared to other teams that are in the relegation field, he at least brings experience. Personally, I mean, I don't know. I think Brighton's going to lose a lot of games early. There's no climbing out of their, their own demise. I, I think they just get relegated. And they're, they're probably, in my opinion, they're probably last place finish. Oh, old take from Ito. Anybody else got with the views on Brighton? I think Ito, like, that's a definite possibility. It's either that or they're, like, 
just above the relegation zone. But I think they're in that relegation fight all season. Yeah, I, I think we see them in a similar position as Aston Villa, Simon, Cole. Yeah. I, I feel like if I look at a team like Crystal Palace, who would also probably be in that spot, I look at like Zaha and Ayu, and there's goals that can be scored between those two players. But I look at the front line for Brighton and Maupai also because he injured Leno, and I hate him for that. But mostly, <laughs> I just I don't, what, I don't think he can produce enough goals to help that team succeed. So yeah. I, I, I don't know if I would say they're last place, but I just I don't have good feelings for how they're I mean, go. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting looking at these um, basement dwellers of the Premier League. I'm sorry to any Brighton fans or Villa fans. No. But, I mean, Villa fans are actually notoriously, like, hardcore for the team, so respect. You guys have cool colors. But for, 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 for the small size of the club that Brighton is, these are some – pretty solid signings especially considering this is their year going uh wait did they just get promoted or were they in the prem last year they've been in the prem for two years now two yeah. or three this is i think their so, third year up yeah i think it's three yeah, yeah. so so th- their main goal is not i mean obviously winning the league is a pipe dream but their goal is to stay in the prem and keep getting those finances up because you have way more of a financial bonus to stay in the top English flight than you would in the first league. In the championship. So in the championship. Yeah, not the first. Oh, man. <laughs> well, basically, basically they're going to be irrelevant, but I think they're still going to – th- I don't think they're going to be fully relegated, though. I, I think they're going to scrape their way up, especially with people like Lalana who have the experience and could boss up the front line. I think they'll – clinch on to the prem i think the signings really show that they were focused more on staying alive than actually trying to win and if you're a team like brighton that's what you have to do moving on though as well, we before we do i checked uh this is this is the start of brighton's fourth year in the prem just so for, look at them just so we four got back year. four just, years yeah. of getting that nbc money yeah mm-hmm. So, yeah, exactly. So they've been irrelevant, but still relevant enough to stay in the Prem, which is yeah, what you want. Which is better than any of our standards, and it's what they yeah. want. And especially if you were a Brighton fan, yes, you would like to see them to win, but you'd rather see them up in the Prem than you would down and being relegated. Moving on to what was once a very surprised team and has very teetered out, Burnley. Now, Burnley hasn't made the signings to break their starting squad, but they definitely have helped, you know, build some depth with their team. And can they improve on that miracle season where they finished, like, what, seventh, like, three years ago, four years ago? They obviously have a very good back line. They have a good coach. And, of course, their superstar is none other than English keeper Nick Pope. So the question is, is is that – can Burnley improve and finish top 10 or are they going to continue just to be a mid-table team? Well, a lot of their success comes down to Sean Dyche, the manager. And he's like, he's really what's kept them up and kept them competitive in the Premier League for their position. But I do think it really comes down to, to Nick Pope. I was saying it before we started, Nick Pope is the X factor of Burnley solely just because he's like a, he's a, he's a good quality keeper. And if you're going to be one of those teams that, plays super defensive and tries to go like one route over the top, mm, uh, one over the top. Yeah. You need a good, you need a good solid trustworthy keeper and defender. 
So I don't think they can necessarily improve on their positioning, but I think if they keep all their guys around, they can maintain it. Do you, well, obviously Burnley doesn't have the money, but do you think they would have factored heavily getting someone like Grealish? Is there somebody in the realm of 20 to $50 million that could automatically improve Burnley's attacking side? Is there anybody that we can think of? I can't. I honestly think Burnley's going to be stuck being a mid-table team, but is there anybody that could be exciting to give some life to Burnley? Nobody. Nobody wants to go to Burnley. I don't anyone, anyone fast, you know, nah. anyone fast in English. Target That's you all have, they want. You have to target the young. If if you're a up and coming Premier League team, you need to target the up and coming Bundesliga players because the way the Bund, I think out of the top five leagues, Bundesliga plays as similar to the Premier League than any other league because with Spain, Italy, France, they kind of play more off the person and more space whereas prem is more like in your face like i don't care if like i break your shin kind of stuff and i think the bundesliga is similar i mean i i can't name it anyone off the top of my head but i think they would be able to scout out someone from a smaller bundesliga team that could bring in the pace and the um technicality i mean it's that's also like a pipe dream because nowadays every every good prospect gets uh picked up by uh Chelsea or Man City or Madrid or Juve so but there's hope for Burnley and I think a sneaky signing could be someone like Dan James mm. I know like he, he gets memed or whatever but he does he's fast and he has that work rate you know he will go back and try his best to defend and he'll break and he'll run and he can cross pretty well you know, we had like, I think, seven, six or seven assists last season in the Premier League. So someone like that would, I think, be a pretty good signing for Burnley. Moving on to what I'm assuming we're going to spend 90 hours talking about. And we're going to talk about them oh, throughout man. the whole season. Honestly, the preseason favorites, in my opinion, at least, Chelsea. Yeah. So, guys, we're talking about a team that just went out, gave a blank check and said, we want this guy. They got Timo Werner, they got Hakim Zayek, they got Ben Chilwell to help the defense, they got Thiago Silva for free to help shore the defense, and of course, they just signed Kai Havertz. Havertz? Havertz? Yeah, and they're in, and they're in for, uh, they're linked with a goalkeeper, but I'm not, mm. I don't, I'm I not 100% sure. I think it's Nick sure. Pope, honestly. Not Tristan. Stegen. Is, is Nick Pope I'm the X Factor, Ewan? I mean, we were talking about, like, he- I mean, they're, they're, the, rest of, uh, the rest of their outfield is great. And I feel like if they get a reliable keeper like Nick Pope. So, so what uh, you're saying is Nick Chelsea Pope. is just one Nick Pope away from getting a treble. This is what I'm hearing. On God, yeah. Shout away. out Nick Pope. He played for Barry FC. The team no longer exists. It went into liquidation. Shout out Barry. <laughs> shout out Nick Pope. Here's what well, I'll say about it. I, I like what they're doing in that they're putting all their best attacking players on the pitch at the same time when we're, like, looking at formations already. I think about, like, uh, Atletico Madrid and, like, their defensive strategy and how they got absolutely wrecked in the Champions League. I think coaches are like, that's that's the past. Like, we're not going back to, like, defensive-minded formations and, and strategies. I think, like, coaches are looking more toward, like, attacking and putting pressure on on the defense. And that's exactly what Chelsea's going to do. And they're going to like, they're going to press the hell out of any, every team. And it's so, going to 
my question for everyone, sorry to cut you off, Ido, but the question is, is what is Chelsea's main four attackers going to be? We know that Chelsea last year ran, what, like a 4-3-3, essentially? We are safe to uh, assume that they're probably going to run kinda. a uh, a four, maybe two midfielders, but definitely at least four attackers at a time. So who are the four attackers that we're really going to see consistently start for Chelsea? I mean, I think I think it's going to be Pulisic, Werner, Ziyech across the top, and then mm-hmm. Havertz below them. I don't hot. It might be a hot take. I don't think Mason Mount is going to start for this team. You don't think Mount's going to start, even though no, he's very really good at that I box Kovacic, Kovacic after the season he had last year. If they play Kovacic and Kante in behind Havertz, that's a very balanced midfield. And I feel like that makes a lot more sense for this team. And it's just kind of gross that they have Tammy Abraham, Callum Hudson-Odoi, and then they'll have, they'll have Mason Mount off the bench. Like all of this, so, like this high-level English talent is just going to like rot on the bench, essentially, for them, which is crazy. And they also have Ross Barkley at the attacking mid and Jorginho, who is actually a pretty good player, but he hasn't like fully melted into Chelsea's scheme yet. But yeah, their attack is ridiculous. And not it's not like the kind of ridiculous where it's like a team just splashes money on old players and kind of just like hopes that they keep doing well. This is looking into the future and trying to mend everyone into the same system. I mean, someone could flop. There is that kind of uh, question mark, but right now this kind of looks like the best developing attack in the Premier League. Maybe not best proven attack, but I could definitely see them being the best a attack problem for backlines. Best attack on paper. Well, at least mm-hmm. this season. No, I, I would say I would say best developing attack because I think there are some other teams that are. I mean, Man City, you put Aguero on that team, it's over. Like, Aguero is the best striker in the league. I, I, though, would, I would argue still, though, that when you look at this Chelsea team and you are looking at it on paper, and whatever, besides, if we're just spitballing with Man City, you have Sterling, Jesus, and who's playing the right side? Mares, but yeah. Mares and Off the KDB, bench. Bernardo Silva. Bernardo it, to me, it doesn't seem the same as having Timo Werner up top, Pulisic at the left, doesn't eat like Zayek at the right. I th- that I think seems to is, be proven. I think part of it is just City is premierly proven, and they're older. And like, except for yeah, Jesus. they all have great talent, but like they're not. Until we see them do it here, we don't know if they can do it. Yeah, but most like, like I mean, the speculation is that they're gonna. Okay, yeah. all the back lines yeah, yeah. except Absolutely for arsenal because we're, arsenal is gonna destroy them every time we play them their fans are gonna be i don't we're know not, we're i gotta cut fill this the off. No, fans. no no no, no. we're fans not fans are gonna be crying for not mercy. standing up for arsenal we're not even halfway through the teams and already we got this arsenal propaganda going okay on. okay okay i'll stop but uh yeah i mean chelsea's biggest um hole is the laughable keppa who insisted he would coach the game and I know it's kind of like a huge meme amongst soccer fans and just in general, like the sporting community. But like that was one of the most horrible player actions I've seen, like in sports in general, like just totally abandoning ship and just doing whatever you want. So they definitely want to get him out, especially the, considering that he was their biggest transfer 
in Chelsea history and probably the biggest flop, one of the biggest flops in Premier League history. So they're going to need to replace him. And with the addition of Silva and Kilwell, Chilwell? Chilwell. Chilwell. Yeah. So English is hard. So (laughs) that will probably also give that sort of developing together kind of uh, chemistry. And Silva is the perfect leader. Like he is 100% going to be the top man in the back line. And he has been one of the best defenders of the 21st century. I can't, I kind of can't wrap my head around how good of a transfer season they've had. I, I couldn't agree more. I think this team is pri- – and Silva is definitely the key to this team being fantastic. The question I kind of want to leave with our viewers and with you guys, which is we talked about this actually with Burnley just a second ago, talking about young English players and them trying to acquire at least some inspiring attacking talent. Looking at the moves that Chelsea has made, do we think that some teams are going to poach the youth that they have, some of the English players they've developed, like uh, – Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who seems to have fallen out of favor with the first team, especially with a lot of the signings they have made. A player like Tammy Abraham, where they just signed essentially a replacement of him in Timo Werner. You still have Olivier Giroud in front of him as well. So the question now becomes, does Chelsea now have to start selling off some of their younger English talent because they want more first team action? I mean, guys like Callum Hudson-Odoi and Tammy Abraham, I think they, they should see the writing on the wall a little bit because the, the, the thing that was so good about Chelsea's transfer season is they're not only signing top prospects and players, they're signing young players who are, are already elite but will be the mainstay on that side for a while. And if I'm Hudson-Odoi, I don't think I'm going to – like, out of the, th- the new three, I think Ziyech probably has the, the, is the most likely to not reach his full potential. So maybe Hudson-Odoi feels a little bit safer. But if a guy like Tammy Abraham sees Timo Werner just banging in goals, he, I think, would be someone who would look to a team like Burnley or, or a team that needs a young striker and maybe think about a move because he's just not going to get the playing time. Anybody else think uh, anybody else would move? I will say, though, uh, to make to that point, uh, I don't want to talk about it too much about Pulisic's uh, health bill. But if you are a player like hudson Adoy, you kind of do bank on that if you want to stay at Chelsea, hoping that he might go down again, because that obviously opened up a lot of starting time for someone like Adoy and a lot of the younger guys. But as all of us are as Americans, we refuse to have Pulisic go down. But we'll touch on him a little bit later. Let's move this train right along. Up next, we already mentioned them once before as a big relegation team, Crystal Palace. Not many big signings. Uh, I hope I'm saying his name right. Iberechi Ezi from QPR. Uh, he's slotted to start in on that right side. But really, this is the only question we have about when it comes to Crystal Palace. Are they going to sell in the winter or try to stay up in the league and sell in the summer? This is a, a very big common theme with a lot of our uh, relegation teams. But this team does have Wilfred Zaha a huge target for a lot of clubs, very skilled player. So the question becomes, are they going to finally part ways with him or is Crystal Palace going to do this show and dance and keep him around again? Yeah, it's it's sad. Crystal Palace is such a sad story because they have these like, these like really good young prospects and like, there's no way they're staying. I, I think about like Van Anholt, Van Anholt, however you say his name, but I've seen him play at fullback. Like he's a really good young player. And he just wasted all his prime years in, in Crystal. So 
Aaron Mead and Crystal Palace. So um, I don't hey. know. I, I think I think they're all gone. I was just gonna say Van Anholt is uh, 30 years old now, which is crazy to me. That is wild. Yeah, but he, yeah, it's crazy. He was he was one of the best, uh, one of the better left backs in the league for sure a couple of years back. But yeah, I mean, uh, I feel like Crystal Palace a hundred percent needs to sell Zaha potentially someone else I'm not as well uh, I'm not as familiar with the rest of Crystal Palace but I know Zaha is like the kind of winger who uh, in the Premier League is a showstopper like he is the kind of player that Pep Guardiola wants who Jose Mourinho wants who Arsenal is linked with yeah so he it would be I, I don't know why they haven't sold him yet. Maybe it's because uh, he kind of can demand more from a smaller club. He can kind of negotiate his way up. But if they want to stay in the Premier League and if they want to keep fighting for at least a spot in the Europa League, they should probably sell Zaha. I mean, it, get a, get a it new just coach, seems logical. You know, just don't be in South London. I think that's what yeah. really hampers them. Yeah. Yeah. Just people from South London. Also, like, looking at the starting 11, like, the age profiles of this team is, like, horrible. They're yeah. all old, too. Like, Ayu, yeah. Benteke, Ben Onhold, Cahill. These are all older guys. So, it's, it's not like you're, you're bringing out a team of, of younger guys who can grow with the team and you can hopefully sell them on to bigger clubs. I don't know what Crystal Palace's end goal is to have just a bunch of old guys that aren't going to produce like they used to. And We're going to go down in value atrocious you know so i i i just i don't see a direction with this team i don't understand what they're trying to do and i don't think whatever they are trying to do is going to work so this this team for me it does not look yeah. good and zaha is about to turn 28 which is this is like sell now territory like it's uh no one's gonna want him at at 30 probably already someone who's uh reliant on his speed and his dribbling that stuff deteriorates, especially in the Premier League, where everyone wants to, once again, break ankles. So it's not looking very pretty for Crystal Palace. Uh, again, moving on. Next up is Everton. Everton, of course, today, or actually, I think it was this morning, just announced that they had signed James Rodriguez of Colombian international duty and, of course, just from Real Madrid. So the question becomes for Everton. Are they finally going to join the big six clubs, or are they still going to be the big six clubs' little maligned brother? I like this team. They're yeah. not six, but I like. I think them. I think this team is great. I but then again, I say this every year when I look at an Everton lineup. I'm like, I like this team. I like who they got. They look good. I think they're yeah. going to do well, and then they don't. So, yeah. I, I think I think Richarlison is actually going to be really good this year. Yeah. I, he's young, and like he's proven to be an X factor in, in certain games, like in other games, he's just like, you know, MIA, but like, but like, I think he, if he's consistent, he's a great player for them. So yeah, I like the team and Allen's a great signing. Yeah. And yeah. I, mean, I, think, I, I think getting Ancelotti was just huge for them. Um, just because of his personal relationship with players at other clubs, he's coached um, getting guys like Allen and James Rodriguez with a different coach just would not have happened. Um, and I think that, like looking at the starting eleven right now, I would drop Andre Gomez for maybe a, another attacking player. Shout out Theo Walcott. But if Zaha went to Everton, that would be nasty. That's it's just nice a thought. Team. There's no, there's literally no actual links about that happening. That was just a thought I had right now. But that but, would be a good move, I think, for both parties in that sense. 
yeah. would that hurt the value of a, a Richarlson or even a Calvert Lewin having Zaha coming off the left side? You know, one of them would have to play a traditional striker role, which both of them aren't necessarily super comfortable with being a traditional ten. But could they pull that off? Do you if you you're, you came up with the idea? So I mean, I I would move Richarlison to left wing, put Zaha at right, and then play Calvert Lewin up the middle. I think you could use Richarlison very similarly to how Arsenal use Aubameyang as sort of an inside forward. Um, use Calvert-Lewin to hold up play, drag those center backs a little bit further up the pitch so guys like Richarlison and Zaha could come in from behind. And I think James Rodriguez is just a home run signing for them. The addition of Allen and uh, James, that is like kind of mind-blowing for a team like Everton because... Not only are they going to get that creative playmaking that James offers and his kind of proven ability with the ball behind two attackers who uh, seem like they trust, they also have Allen who is going to anchor the midfield's defense and offer more room for Gomez to run up and down the field. I don't know what role he plays fully at Everton, but he kind of comes off as a more box-to-box because of his height and his ability with the ball but it's almost as good of a window that Everton could hope considering that they're not some crazy big team with the biggest payroll in the league and once again the players always need to prove themselves but James and Allen seem like pretty proven players at their respective positions and it'll make the whole difference in their team in my opinion. Couldn't agree more I think Everton is definitely a team to look out for if you don't have a Premier League team and you kind of want to get interested, I would definitely say take a look at Everton. If you don't like the big winners, if you want to cheer for someone that you know might could win, Everton is always a good look at. If you want to just cheer for big clubs like us, it's not fun, but Everton could be a fun club to cheer for, but you also might learn very quickly what pain and sadness is. So I would say keep a, keep a lookout for that. Next up is Fulham. Fulham, of course, just recently promoted, won their playoff, if I'm not mistaken. They yeah, won they the, won the playoffs. Yeah, which is, again, stupid. And if you're not a big soccer fan, essentially the second division, uh, the first two teams make it. And then there is a four-team playoff for the third spot. And Fulham won it, and they didn't deserve it. But that's either near or there. But anyway, we're going to talk about Fulham. And is there any hope for them this year of staying up, or are they going to go back down? No. I mean, I, I think it's right back down. There's yeah. not, like, they weren't prepared last time. They're lesser prepared this time. It's just going to be the same thing. Honestly, I have them as my 20th place team. And I guess the only thing that we could talk about and we will talk about later is that they have two Americans, one of them being the ageless Tim Ream as their starting center back. And recently, they just signed Anthony Robinson from Wigan. So hopefully we'll see some Americans get some minutes out there. And I'd really love to see some progression out of Anthony Robinson. It would be very important for the U.S. national team to have a consistent left back or at at any point, just any good fullbacks because we just can't produce them. But we can only hope. So we'll keep an eye out, of course, on Anthony Robinson. But this season doesn't look too good for Fulham. Up next is, I would love to say, our personal favorite team, which is Leeds United. Now, Leeds... Didn't really make any big splashy signings. They did, though, uh, re-secure the loan of Jack Harrison from Man City. He was very uh, influential for Leeds last year in their promotion season. So 
Do we think that Leeds shows anything other than just being a mid-table team? Are they going to regress and not even stay up? What is the outlook for Leeds this season? They're my personal dark horse team. I think Bielsa is a world-class coach. He's proved it in the past with other teams he's managed. I don't know how he ended up at Leeds, but he did. I think there's one of two options because I doubt that he'll want to change his, his system up too much. So it's either they play their system with the players they have and it works great or it blows up in their faces and the big teams absolutely pounce on them and they're just they're absolutely broken by them. I don't think there's much else to add when it comes to Leeds. So they're very much a wait and see team. But that's another team that you can cheer for if you don't have a Premier League team yet. This is the first time they've been up in the Prem since, what, 2003? Three, I think. Three or four. Yeah. So it's been 17 years. They're going to need some fans. And uh, you should cheer for them and not for Fulham if you're an American because Fulham sucks. Up next, of course, the greatest championship season Leicester and their craziness Leicester hasn't made any signings they haven't really done much they do still though have Brendan Rodgers as the coach as he proved last year that they should have been a top four team but they teetered off at the end and they also just lost Ben Chilwell who is also influential for their season so the question becomes can Leicester continue to be one of the big boys up top or is age and talent finally going to catch up and they're going to regress I, th- I think they chose the wrong season to kind of not be active in the transfer window. Vardy is getting up there in age, and they have a great, great midfield of Madison, Tielemans, and Ndidi. That's, that's the perfect midfield. You, you have a perfectly balanced midfield there, but I worry with them that as a team like Chelsea just splash the cash and Arsenal are looking at some big midfield signings, that Leicester is going to fall very far in the table because I think a team like Man U is going to be a lot better next year. Arsenal is going to be a lot better next year. And Harvey Barnes being your starting left wing, like that doesn't excite me, you know? I think they 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 needed some, like at least one marquee signing in the attack or midfield to play that wing role out wide for them that they just didn't do. Yeah, just we're going to just say Zaha. now anytime any yeah. team needs a winger, just get Wilfred Zaha. No. That's all yeah. I need. Zaha is literally what they need. You need a left winger, Zaha. No, but like Zaha would be playing with a proven striker with an actual good midfield behind him and a really good center back pairing with pretty good fullbacks. That's like his ideal situation. I mean, and also Leicester are becoming a really relevant team. Like they are becoming not the dark horse. They're becoming like a fan favorite for the people that aren't fans of teams, you know? Like, the way that you're promoting uh, Leeds or whoever else, I would promote Leicester because it's just exciting to, to kind of keep up with their story. Obviously, Vardy is getting old, but if they make a winger signing, I could see them ending up in the same top six-ish, top six-ish position that they've secured over or a couple of times over the past years. And I don't know. I just love them ever since they won the league. I'm a Leicester bandwagon almost fan, so. I will say this about Leicester. I think they have a really underrated center back pairing. I think he was like a, he's been linked to Barca, and he's a beast. And then they also have Schmeichel, who's been proven to be like a top, I'd say a top five keeper in the league. So I think they're, they're a solid team, but I, I, I do think that they slip a little bit in the table this year. 
I think not getting, as Cole pointed out, the splashy signing is really going to hurt them. So maybe we could see them make a link for Zaha or a move for Zaha in the yeah. winter transfer window. I agree that bringing up some more attack will be very helpful for Leicester's development, especially someone like Madison, who is a key youngster, and mm. you need to give him the talent to have him also grow and develop as well. One last point. I can see them slipping, not because of their team in general, but just because the other teams ahead of them in the league getting so much uh, transfer action, you know? Like, it's not that they're a bad team. It's just that the other teams are getting better. And they're if they stagnate, they're not going to be able to develop as well as um, the teams ahead of them. I agree. I think we've seen a lot of the big six clubs make big signings and really improve on themselves. Uh, Everton also has really brought their name back into the conversation. So it'll be very tough for Leicester to continue to be a top six side, especially since they did not make any of the splashy signings. Up next, the team we love to hate. It's Liverpool, the former champions. They didn't sign anyone big. They're bringing back essentially the same roster. They are, though, still waiting on uh, Thiago Alcantara. Am I correct on that? Yep. So the question becomes, does getting Alcantara make them, again, the hands-on favorite to win? Or has Chelsea's signings and everybody else's improvements this transfer period make it tougher for Liverpool to repeat as Premier League champions? I think my perspective on Liverpool is, of course, I hate them. But thinking about it objectively, they've put together in back-to-back seasons two of the greatest seasons a, a team could ever produce. Even though they finished second uh, the year before they won it, they still put up 97 points and they ran City till the last day. At this point now, it's all a matter of if they can keep that intensity up for another season. Because... At this point, the Premier League is just an arms race, and it's who's going to sign the most. And I, I think they'll start to slow down and peter out a little bit, just because trying to keep up like nearly a hundred point intensity over a three season span is something we've never seen before in the Prem. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they will be able to do that. They won't be bad. They won't be like a bunch of scrubs. But it's you know, they have the energy. Can they continue this form that they've been in the past two years? I yes. totally agree. They don't necessarily have the depth that you would like to see a top side have, but they definitely have the coaching. They have everything else. But I kind of agree that the when you think about the legs that they're on, they're very tired and that the depth could have a huge important role this season. Yeah, I was going to add that uh, Gigi Wijnaldum is being linked to and might sign for Barca this window, which would be a great signing for Barca, actually. But if they lose Wijnaldum in the midfield, that's going to hurt the longevity of the team. I, I do think bringing in Thiago would be a fantastic signing. But but again, a signing like Jerdan Shakiri was huge for them last season. To just get a guy off the bench that can that can take the spot of Salah or Mane, take the pressure off them give them minutes off, you know, and, and if if they do lose Wijnaldum in this window, I think that might have a major impact, maybe not on the Prem, but but in terms of whether or not they go far in other competitions like the FA Cup or the Champions League, worries me a little bit. Obviously, keeping the same roster is um, kind of, it's a, it's a very bold move. Obviously, maybe switching Alcantara for uh, Wijnaldum would be in my opinion, an upgrade, and it would uh, bring them a lot in the midfield, even though they already have a very stacked team. I would say the biggest X factor they have 
is their head coach, Jurgen Klopp, who is constantly the fire of the team that he's coaching. He's the guy that makes everyone go 120% in every practice and every game. And he's the reason why Liverpool have a Champions League title and a Premier League title to their name. And especially with the speculation of him retiring after his contract is up, where he said that he he might go to a national team, he might just end it after a gap year. I think he's going to want to press the gas as hard as possible and bring as much out of every player as possible. But I would say that right now, the wink, the weakest link on the team, if I had to put uh, a player on the spot, it would be Firmino, who has had the most missed chances in the Premier League on a percentage basis. I could be wrong, but I think uh, I saw that somewhere. So if they brought in a number nine, who is as good at hold-up play as Firmino, but can also finish in the box and kind of bring more of a defensive urgency on the other end, then I don't see them regressing at all. I see them maybe winning the league again within two or three years, which would be absolutely huge for um, Liverpool and their fans. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think Liverpool, though I don't necessarily think are the team to beat, in the Prem this year. I mean, they're the former champions, so you really can't sleep on them. You do have to give them the respect that they have earned. And uh, you're saying that Klopp might go international duty. Well, all I know is is a guy with the initials JK once coached America. So Jurgen Klopp, US 2026. Let's get that going, guys. We need him to coach in America for the American team, That's... for the American World Cup. We're starting that trend right now. That is that gonna is, be our thing. Jurgen Klopp, America 2026. I love your optimism. Your optimism it's gonna happen. your optimism is cute. Klopp <laughs> Klopp knows Polisic from their days at Dortmund. I'm pretty sure they had to intertwine. Okay, okay, no, you've convinced me. You've convinced me. No, he's going he why would he coach the German or Spanish yeah. national no, team? No, he, he doesn't want them. To, he doesn't know yeah. them. Just because yeah, he's from need. Germany. We beat Germany eighty years ago. He owes us. Yeah, we're two-time two time World War champions. Yeah, exactly. Beat them twice. We get their services now for their best coaches. We got Jurgen Klinsmann. He wasn't great. We want Jurgen Klopp now. Boom. Moving on to probably one of the better coaches in the Premier League, Pep Guardiola and his Manchester City side. They, of course, as we mentioned earlier in the pod, had their huge debacle with Messi in which that hurt them in the future transfer window, or I guess the present day but they still made some good signings in Nathan Ake, which they poached off of relegated Bournemouth to go shore up center back. And also Ferran Torres, a nice young prospect out of Valencia to also help the attack. So guys, what do we expect out of Manchester City this year? Are they going to return to the Pep Guardiola great stature or are they going to continue to regress like they did last year? That's a tough one for me. I think City actually falls a little bit in the table this year. I don't know. I don't see them. I, I didn't like what I saw last year from them in the in the latter end of the season. I think they lack creativity in the midfield. And Jesus is, like, decent. He's missed a lot of open uh, critical chances as well. So, honestly, I see I see City falling behind Chelsea this year. But there's wow. That's a hot take. I, yeah. I kind of agree with him. I think City – kind of proved last year that they didn't necessarily, you know, exceed the expectations that they that, that they have on themselves. The signings this year don't really, you know, give me much confidence in the fact that they can return to the top of the league. You're only hoping that 
Pep Guardiola and the team can find that magic again. I think huh. what's going to really hurt them is that Messi didn't sign. It's going to deflate the morale in the area. It's going to make guys worry like Bernardo Silva or even Raheem Sterling that they're going to be gone soon. So why would they even try this year? I think that really Man City's kind of in a weird spot right now, which is huh. if they come slow out of the gates, it's going to be really bad for them. I would, I would argue the opposite. I would say... Personally, they're my favorites to win the league. I would put them at number one in the Premier League ranking for a couple of reasons. One, the amount of criticism that the team got over the year for not winning the league, for choking in the Champions League, for losing to Arsenal in the FA Cup. Even though that's not as big of a competition, it still proves something in terms of willingness to go at a trophy. Um, so I think that Guardiola is going to try to bounce back. He's going to sit in his soccer dungeon 24 hours a day, <laughs> drinking yerba mate. He's just going to be like fueled into winning at least a Premier League title, which sounds funny, but the kind of stature that City have right now is Premier League or bust. I, I was just going to say, uh, to end it off, I think their team improves massively even uh, without Messi, they bring in Ake, who is going to be a rotational center back, and they are very heavily linked to Koulibaly. He's probably going to get his transfer done. And I don't see, like, how how is that not the top player-by-player backline in the Until league? Until Koulibaly gets signed, they aren't there yet. No, they, okay, they, so, no, he's going to get signed. He's literally, he's literally going to get signed, like... I bet, like, today or tomorrow they're going to announce him. Well, it's not, you know, it's not a... What what is it? Date mark, mark, whatever. Let's not date this podcast more than it already is dated. Even even despite... Even then, like, the signing of Ferran Torres is going to bring so much more activity to the team. I mean, Guardiola teams are constantly bringing in great players. Competition. If you can play under Guardiola, you get a starting spot. If you don't, you're getting out the next window or the window after that. And they also have players like Phil Fodden who don't even freaking play. Like, that's crazy. Like, they're just so stacked, and Guardiola is such a good coach. And I think if they don't win the Premier League, it's a bust. But I I just don't see how – I don't see them going lower than second, honestly. I was just going to say, I feel like the the X factor for this team is Raheem Sterling and what kind of season he's going to have. Because he was the one – Who's, who everyone pointed fingers at at the end of the season and kind of blamed him for their big losses. He had that big, big, big miss um, in the Champions League. And whether or not he can be their best attacking player that's not Kevin De Bruyne, that's, that's really what the question is going to be, for me at least, for how City's season is going to go. I'm not worried about this team because they have more money than some third-world countries. But I... <laughs> but... <laughs> But I'm I'm just I'm curious to see what kind of season Raheem Sterling is going to have, whether he's going to be up there for the golden boot or if he's just going to be 15-ish goals, have a good, not great season, and have them rely on Gabriel Jesus, Bernardo Silva a little bit more. Aguero. Um, don't forget Aguero. We keep forgetting the best striker in the Prem. He's still there. Uh, don't don't do this to Harry Kane. We're not gonna Dude, start Aguero, this now. Oh my God! No, no, no we're no, starting no. this. No, Aguero, we're not gonna start. Aguero is the best. No, I'm on Simon's side for this. I'm on Simon's side for Dude, this. Dude, if fine, Aubameyang fine. is better than Kane, okay, okay it goes now Aguero. We're just going too far. I'm gonna end this now. Aguero, Aubameyang, no. Kane. 
guy. Aguero, Aubameyang, Lacazette. <laughs> Martial, Kane. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of Martial, I think we've covered Man City pretty much. I think we've talked about, you know, what are their expectations? What do they really need? Now to the other side of town, to Ewan's team, to the Red Devils, Manchester United. Of course, signing Donny van de Beek to make that midfield even more superior. So Ewan, we're just going to turn this to you, essentially. Does Man U make the top four and then do they need anything else to really secure that old Sir Alex Ferguson years to be the top team in the Premier League? Glory days. Yes, they make the top four at fourth, maybe third if the team above them is playing like shit. But they make it in oh, – sorry. They make it in at fourth. Uh, they make it in at fourth. What they need – I mean, I can see them being uh, able to like, win a trophy with this team, with whether it's like one of the cups, something like that. But what they really need to like be – truly good again is a center back to compliment Harry Maguire because he's a decent center back but if he doesn't have someone fast next to him who can cover up for all of his flaws it's just not going to work out we need a defensive midfielder because Matic is old uh say we had Matic like five years ago we'd be set there but we need someone who will hold it down right in front of the center backs take the pressure off of them and get things moving up to the attack in attack, we only really need someone on the right side or you someone like Mason playing. Greenwood. Is Mason Greenwood not your answer there? Well, he's a striker, and he, you know, he's starting young as they put they push a lot of young strikers out to the wing first to yeah. you know sort of get their bearings in more space, and then as they mature, they push them inside more. But I feel like he could be the answer there for now. But I feel like what we really need is a true winger. I know the name thrown around a lot is Jaden Sancho, mm-hmm. someone like that who can play on both sides of the attack. So say if like Marcus Rashford is in just god awful form, like he couldn't pass a ball to save his life. Sancho could, Rashford could be dropped and Sancho could play on the left while Greenwood plays on the right or something like that, where there's competition for spots up top and that pushes players to play harder and all that type of stuff. I think this is the one of the first times I've really felt optimistic going into a season. I think, say what you want about Ole, I feel like he's brought sort of this, a similar way to how Arteta has at Arsenal. The the culture shift that he sort of pushed has been really big. Like Pogba looks like he wants to stay now, which like if you told me that a year ago, I wouldn't have believed you. Van de Beek, I don't know how he fits into this team because he's been our only real like marquee, like cool signing this summer. He's been your he really, only signing. I mean, yeah, but don't know how he fits in. He's pretty much, he's an attacking midfield. Like he describes it himself. He's like, he plays like as off the striker as in like a 10 position. And that's where Fernandez plays. That's where Pogba can play. So if he's just depth, like why did we go after depth when we really need to address some positions seriously? Maybe he plays on the right. I don't know. Because he's technically gifted, he can flip in a cross. Maybe that's where he goes in some matches. I'm actually really excited about his signing. I think he's a great signing for us. But I wish we had gone after positions of more importance. I mean, looking at the roster, it seems like your attack is good. Like, there's not really... Yeah. much improvement there but you've already addressed the cdm position where pogba kind of likes to be more of a free roaming like kind Number of box eight, to kind box. Of box to box yeah yeah um van de beek we'll see how he develops fernandez obviously has been really Godsend. good yeah but the positions that stand out to me the most in kind of red alert area would be luke shaw who has been pretty injury prone and mm-hmm. 
pretty he would be a good rotational piece but i don't see luke shaw being a standout left back yeah 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 that would be the weakest position in my opinion and then center back you just need players that are going to be competing for the center back spot you always Mm -hmm. want that kind of stuff for teams that don't have a really stacked uh defensive line and last but sadly least david de gea which it's weird for me to talk about him like this because for as long as i've been watching soccer de gea has been just the highlight the highlight real keeper the guy who's a showstopper just an absolute monster in the net who kind of is aging and turning into a more um uh, more error-prone goalie. So you guys are going to have to go for maybe em- Emmy Martinez from Arsenal. It would no, hurt we to got see. Dean Henderson. We got Dean Henderson. It's fine. Yeah, they Dean got Henderson. Henderson. They're good. They got oh, Wayne Henderson. Henderson. No, I get yeah, Henderson. He was, no, on, he was on loan at Sheffield. Yeah, he's ours. I didn't know that. Really? So Dean Henderson, if, if he keeps going, then – I would say center back and left back and CDM are gonna are your biggest weak spots. But at the same time, maybe somehow Fernandez turns into a more defensive oriented player. Because I mean, I don't know. They tried to play Pogba at defensive mid for France, and he didn't like it. Like you could yeah, tell. I feel like it works there for him because he has Conte next to him, so he can just team is lay back. Insane. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we he can just lay back deep there, spray a pass up to Mbappe, and it's a goal. Where he can't really do that here. Yeah. But so. Yeah. I was going to say, like, Donny Van de Beek, while he was, when he was linked to Arsenal, it was the same season where Ramsey left, and they kind mm. of do the same thing. And that's basically the position that Pogba plays. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting that they went out and signed Van de Beek because I think he's going to be a great player, but he and Pogba basically do the same thing. Well, obviously Pogba was like a much higher level, but, but Van de Beek is going to be like a box-to-box midfielder. He's going to score like five goals for the season, get a good amount of assists, but he's not going to have that defensive work rate. And so my, my thinking with United is, to me, they're a team – that you don't want to play, but I don't. I don't feel confident that United is gonna be a team that's gonna win any major competitions this year because the on the defensive side of the ball, I don't. I don't trust them. I could see them knocking out a Man City or a Liverpool in one-off game in, in some sort of cup, mm-hmm. but I. I don't trust them to go all the way in in a big in a, in a way to win some sort of trophy this season. Yeah, I mean yeah. also. They just seemed kind of, this is more of an abstract kind of hit on Man U, but they kind of seemed streaky when Ole come, came in. At first they were like, oh my God, he is the next Alex, Sir Alex Ferguson. Everything is saved. We're going to win the league. And then Man U had this spell where they just couldn't stop losing or drawing games. And then we're kind of at this point right now where Man U is considered like a top three team in the league, which makes sense. But this streakiness kind of like brings up these kind of doubts that I have. Not to say that they're a bad team, but it's like Man U is a team that should always be fighting for the top spot in the league and in the Champions League. So, I agree. yeah. I feel like part of the streakiness from my point of view is like, because that always came in when we had to play someone like Andreas Pereira in midfield. It's like mm-hmm. Pogba was injured, Fernandez wasn't there yet, and it was just 
there was nothing. So I feel like that might be where Van de Beek, the signing of Van de Beek made sense in mm-hmm. that sense, where maybe that might help halt the streakiness. Because I agree, they've been, they went in a really good streak, a bad streak, good streak, bad, you know, very streaky. So maybe that's kind of where Van de Beek helps the team keep consistent when Pogba and Fernandez need a break, something yeah. like that, or they get injured or something like that, whatever. I mean, I, I'm going to throw out, like, a semi-hot take. I think Van de Beek is Pogba insurance. I think that since they're very similar, Van de Beek is pretty tall. He's six feet tall. Uh, mm-hmm. Pogba is six foot three. He's stronger on the ball, it seems, more physical. But the teams that Pogba was linked with before he went to Man U were Real Madrid, Barcelona, like, the top, top, top teams. Yeah. And I could totally see him leaving for maybe a Barcelona. If, if if Pogba links up with Messi, I think it's the end of the soccer world. But, um, <laughs> but like, Van de Beek is a good signing in that sense because you don't really have to worry about him leaving as much because you're going to get the Pogba money. You'll be able to sign a good CDM, uh, maybe someone younger, and uh, you're still going to have that attacking-minded midfielder in Van de Beek who can yeah. still be physical on the ball and get and win um, uh, challenges in the midfield. So, yeah, I don't know. I have pretty solid uh, transfer season so far, but the back line needs a little help. Yeah, I agree completely. Man, you definitely a team to look out for, a team definitely to be considered dangerous and most likely going to finish in the top four with the roster they have. We're going to try to get through the rest of these teams relatively quickly. Newcastle United, they've – just made depth signings this year. They're going to try to fight out relegation like a lot of other teams. Yeah, really what it boils they down took two, to. Took the two best players from Bournemouth, and that's been their transfer window. And that's pretty good, if you ask me. Do that to, for depth. They need it. They need to have their top guys really perform like Joelington, like Almiron. You know, they sign these guys. They're supposed was, to be good. I will say for Newcastle, I think um, Alan St. Maximin might get sold if they don't. With Newcastle, I could either see them finishing like 8th or 15th. Yes. Mm-hmm. With them, like, anything is possible. And, and, and I think so, what really boils down this season is ownership. That is... Yeah. I was, I was going to say Alan St. Maximin, back to the wingers who might need a big move in the winter. He's someone to keep an eye on to see whether or not he makes a big move. If Newcastle is towards the bottom of the table and he says he wants a, a, be- a better team to be on, he's, he's the quality enough to make a big move. I think that's all we need to say about Newcastle. Shout out, shout out DeAndre Yedlin. Also. Shout out American DeAndre Yedlin. Again, oh. go America. Hopefully Newcastle stays up. Uh, we like Newcastle here, but, you know, all happens. Doesn't matter. Next up, Sheffield United, of course, were a top 10 team last year. Looked great. What the question is, is that are they going to stay in the top 10 or are they supposed to regress? I This is, if I was going to have a prediction of the team that I think is going to regress the most, to me, it's Sheffield and it's almost obvious. I think with all these other teams like Everton making big signings, I only see Sheffield falling further and further down the table. Arsenal's not going to finish eighth ever again. <laughs> So, so I don't, I don't see Sheffield staying in that top eight area anymore. I think, especially looking at their transfer business, obviously they don't have a ton of money, but, but none of these signings are that exciting. I think they have a good identity as a team, but I feel like they kind of fall very similarly to like a Burnley where they might get a result against a big team or a couple of results, but for the time, the long span of the season, I don't see them doing that much. Good enough to stay up, but not good enough to do anything. I actually have a hot take opposite to that. They're one of my relegation teams. 
Wow. I think they regressed that far. Wow. Well, I mean, Dean Henderson kept 13 clean sheets. And for a, team, a newly promoted team, like, that's a massive thing. And I feel like his val- his, him missing will be massive for them. The fact that he won't be there, he won't make those stops. They'll have to have, like, an average or maybe even below average keeper in, what's his name, Aaron Ramsdale. Jagielka is getting older. I don't really trust any of their back line. I feel like, because a lot of what made Sheffield good was the unchanging back line, Nick Dean Henderson. And I feel like there will be, will be, there'll be less continuity back there, which will lead to leaking more goals, which leads to them having to score more. And it'll just all sort of, which will all sort of bring them down. I have them going down in 18th and just narrowly getting relegated. I can see that totally happening. I agree. Sheffield is either going to be a team that, well, we all agree that they're going to regress, but we don't know how big of a regression it's going to be. So that'll be definitely something to look out for. So we're going to talk about Southampton. They got nothing good going on. They're going to stay. <laughs> Danny, 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 Danny Ings. Danny Ings is God right now. I think Danny, Danny Ings is God. That's about it for Southampton. I think good, he, good for him, you know. Danny like, Ings might get signed somewhere. I think he goes to Spurs. Kane's going to, Kane's got to get out of there. Kane needs a backup if he's going to stay. So we're actually moving right along on to Spurs. That's who's next. So this is my team, folks. Uh, obviously, I'm very happy about the uh, Emil Hoiberg signing and also Matt Doherty to give us anything better than Serge Aurier on the right. This is a team that I believe has a lot of potential, and it starts kind of with the back line finding consistency. And I really don't believe this team is going to be good more than two years down the road because that's what Jose Mourinho does. I think this team, if Mourinho does his magic, they could surprise a lot of people. They could win the league, which I think is the craziest thing that they could do. But the league, I, the league cup? No, the, league the, cup? the Premier League. Audi Cup? The Premier yeah, League let, Cup? Let me ask you guys this. Hold on. This is a team that under Potichini, right, I understand that the center backs have gotten older. They don't have Rose in his prime or Kyle Walker out on the wings. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. But – in my opinion, the attack has gotten better. There's actually real depth now versus four years ago, five years ago, when nobody wanted to come to Tottenham because the, and I quote, I believe it was Alvaro Morata who said, I can't go to Tottenham because I can't play because you can't crack, crack that top 11. The thing now is that this team under Mourinho is very well, you know, they're doing a really good job mixing in players, rotating players. and. I mean, you got guys coming off the bench like Bergwijn. I mean, I don't even think Deli Alley's going to start for this team this year. That's my I mean, well, he's been trash, if, though. If Spurs win the league, it would be a bigger story than Leicester winning the league. I'm just going to say that. Well, I hope so. No, yeah, I, I, of course, am very optimistic about Spurs. And so I'm going to let the people who, you know, are going to bring us back into reality a little bit talk on them. I mean, Ben Davies, Eric Dyer – like kind of similarly to United, I think that that's your issue is still that back line. There isn't even even with the sign of Matt Doherty, who had a good season last year at Wolves, like that that back line still doesn't excite me. And why did you why did you sign Joe Hart? Just like genuinely, oh, back up. why? Uh, because he was free, and we lost but, um, the other old. We lost uh, what's his name? God damn it! Whoever our backup keeper was, and Gazaniga didn't really excite. Uh, Mourinho so why not get a guy who is kind of proven in the prem you know he captained Man City I Joe Hart's the backup Hugo Lloris it's a backup keeper we got him for free who cares that's not yeah, what's important hilarious um, what's but, more important is but, a guy you know, like Hoyt, in my opinion I, I will say I 
I have questions about the midfield for this team. And Dombele was not the player that they wanted him to be when they signed him. Um, hopefully he can develop to be that guy, but as of right now, he isn't. Lacelso was good last year. Um, if Pierre Emil Hoiberg can be a good defensive midfielder for them, I think you are looking at sixth is where I would put them. But again, like the the, the strike force, Sun, Kane, Bergwijn, Lucas, that's that's a good that's a good attacking group. But but if if the midfield doesn't step up, I I don't know if this team finishes higher than sixth. So what I yeah. will say is that when they first signed in Dombele, they kept playing him as a CDM instead of a free-roaming midfielder, which is what he is. He needs to be allowed to have creativity and not worry so much about defense, which is what Potichino and Mourinho did early. And also, if you don't know, uh, Ndombele is uh, Mourinho's favorite uh, bully or his target for bullying as he likes to pick on one player per team he's on and just absolutely Luke Shaw, them. he killed Luke Shaw's confidence. Yeah, so he's being very mean to Ndombele right now. But the what I'm hearing, what I'm reading, is if you look at, obviously the fans at home can't see this, but we're looking at a future projection of a, a lineup. If Ndombele gets to be in front and just has to be box to box and is allowed to be creative, because there was flashes last year where he was just given the ball and he was allowed to operate in space and he was allowed to push. And I think oh, that's what... goal he scored on his debut? Yeah. He, the oh, goal, man, that was that, something. So we, we know Ndombele has the skill. The prop, And I think we like to say that Tottenham's going to be bad. But the thing is, is that Tottenham has the talent to win the league. It is that they are not consistent and they don't necessarily play the right way for all the players on the team, right? Mourinho plays a very big counterattack style, which works good for Son, works good for the attacking three. But when it comes to the midfielders, it really hurts them a lot of the time. So I think you guys make the point, which is you have to look into see, will the midfield develop? I think it will. I think signing a true CDM like Hoybjerg and getting Winks out of the starting lineup and running this two midfielders in front of the center backs which has, I really think, hurt Tottenham, especially last year. Uh, I think now this will really allow them to let the winger, uh, the fullbacks go up the field, especially Doherty, where that's where he specializes in. You can even let Davies stay back if you don't feel comfortable having Hoybier playing in front of the center backs. The team has the possibility of being good. It's just, can they unlock it themselves? So I, I agree with you guys' assessment of, let's be realistic about Tottenham. They're not going to win the league, but I'm saying that they have, I'm going to be as optimistic as possible and really point out the fact that they do have the guys, they have the team. It's just, can they find it? Can and the they coach. Put it all together? Can and you, the coach. question, Will, do you think Tottenham right now are a better side than Arsenal or Man U? And if so, where would you rank the three? So I guess this is a little bit of preview of where we have our top four. I actually have Man U doing better than Tottenham this year, but I have Arsenal doing worse. Purely because I don't trust Arsenal's youth. I think that's one of the big things when you guys talked about how they're gonna it's gonna be a great team two or three years down the road. You talked about that they're gonna develop and they're young. That's the issue with them, is that they're young and they aren't necessarily proven. And so one of the big things that's different with Tottenham is that this team is full of guys between 26 and 30 or even younger, and they're all proven. They've all played in the Prem for a a good good time now and signings like Bergwijn proven that this team has the depth now that they didn't have in the past which is what really hampered them so will I think Arsenal will be better than Tottenham in two years absolutely if this is what we're to expect of them and the signings that they've made and I guess 
Man U, I only have them ahead because, well, they have a Ole is just made of better culture. And honestly, I'm a little bit more uh, pessimistic about Tottenham when I'm making picks. Do I honestly believe Tottenham's better than Man U? Sure, why not? I think Ben Davies is better than Luke Shaw. I think that our center backs are better than uh, Man U's center backs. I think Alderweireld still has juice in him. He's still the starting center back for Belgium's national team, so he obviously still has the skills to be a number one center back. But it's the guys who they have next to him. You know, Eric Dyer never excites me. Davison Sanchez has been a flop. So you kind of yeah. have to look at this Tottenham team as like they have the guys that are good. They have the coach that's supposed to make them good. Can they put it together? And that's really what it comes down to: is can Tottenham put All it together? All or nothing, if you will. Exactly. <laughs> All or nothing. So yeah, well, wait. Yeah. I just wanted to ask some questions. First of all, why did you pronounce the best Spurs manager of all time incorrectly? Pochettino? Yeah, I can't you say said, his name right. You said Pochettino. I really don't care how to say his name right. He, <laughs> okay. He, okay. Well, that's just, that's just for the bands. So, yeah, obviously he left, got replaced with Mourinho. Uh, second Didn't question, <laughs> yeah, which is ridiculous in my opinion. I've never seen Eric Dyer play center back for Spurs. Oh, he's played it. He played it all during the restart. Uh, Mourinho has this affinity of Dyer playing center back, and it drives me yeah. crazy every so, time. So, yeah, th- that just, like, it's kind of like a red flag, Well, in my Dyer, opinion. But they, they've run Dyer at center back in England and internationals, and he seems to be more comfortable there now these days. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we're talking about the Eric Dyer from four years ago that only knew how to play CDM and, like, run box-to-box. He's kind of, I think, himself realized that Tottenham is going to need center backs, and he's kind of mm. stepped up into that role. He doesn't yeah. excite me, but he's been good. He's been mm-hmm. decent. And you put him next to Aldeverald and not Sanchez, and there's been a, there were a couple games, and he looked great. I honestly believe Sanchez yeah. is going to be the starting uh, other center, center back. back. Yeah. So, like I said, Mourinho's got an affinity with Dyer at center back. I think it's because they're both Portuguese. So I think that's why he picks him. Like, that's the only rationale I have. Yeah. I mean, so, back, when, back when Jose was at United, he wanted to sign Eric Dyer every single transfer window. Yeah, he loves Eric Dyer. So I don't know what it is about him. He just that's, loves him. I, I'm telling you, it's because that's he speaks good. Portuguese. He wants a player on the field that he can yell at at Portuguese and can tell everybody in English. So you guys are signing Ronaldo Portuguese. Uh, uh, so Eric Dyer grew up in Portugal and he could have either been an English international or Portugal international fun fact. Wow. But, so wait, um, I would say that I could see Tottenham progressing way more if they get rid of the players that just don't deserve to be on a good Premier League team. I think that if Deli Ali keeps playing like trash, th- then he's going to have to leave because everyone knows English talent goes for a markup price. Same with uh, REA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was yeah, REA I mean, is not English, but I'm, I'm just saying like people that you should sell. Harry Winks, yeah, even though he's younger, but I can uh, see that. I think they're going to sell Winks purely because Ndombele and Lacelso have shown such like they are way better Promise. skilled and yeah. they're better for the future. And you still have Muasa Sissoko or Musa Sissoko, sorry. And you still have Eric mm-hmm. Lamella, who are both relatively on the younger, they're both on the other side of, on the good side of 30. So you could sell a player like Winks and you don't need to keep him there. But I think that's enough Tottenham talk. We yeah. definitely exceeded. Last thing, last thing I was just going to say, Deli Ali is reaching Jesse Lingard. 
territory. Yeah. Whoa, I think whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, let's not compare. Let's not compare some clown to Jesse Lingard. Okay, Lingardinho, Messi, Lingard. Messi, Lingard. <laughs> anyway, moving on. West Brom, Albion. Do they stay up? Just quick, yes or no? I don't think they're no. in it. No, I don't think so either. No, definitely at the bottom. Yeah. All right. That was good talk about West Brom. Sorry, all the West Brom fans. You're just not good. We're sorry. One suck, of you. I guess. You guys don't even have a player worth trying to steal, which I think is the saddest part. But shout out Canavri, though. Shout out Gibbs. Is that Kieran <laughs> Gibbs, former Arsenal man? Legend. Yeah. Next up, West Ham. Can West Ham surprise us this year, or are they going to still be West Ham and they're going to eventually sell Declan Rice by the end of the season? Yes, more disappointment. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think this is another good. team that is – like, what are you doing signing a guy from AFC Wimbledon, you know? Like, what, what, kind, of, what kind of message does that, does that send to your team when you've been fighting relegation that you just signed a guy from AFC Wimbledon, you know? It's yeah. like they, they kind of are okay with being 16th, and, and that's, that would be worrisome. I think, I think Sebastian Haller was a good signing, but he hasn't been what they've wanted him to be. I think uh, Mikel Antonio had one ridiculous game, and that's all. I think Masuaku's a decent left back. But, yeah, it's, it's just up to what happens with Declan Rice. He stays with them and becomes um, a cornerstone of that team, or if they sell him. And if they sell him, I don't know if this team stays up. I now, I guess this is more of a question for you. And Declan Rice, he comes available. You think Man U wants to jump on that, you know, really solidify a CDM player? I mean, I think what, I think there was talk last summer of Declan Rice potentially being uh, a CDM target. I'd take him. I think he'd be – I think he's what all – the type of player all he wants to bring in. I wouldn't be mad if he was brought in. I think we kind of know where West Ham stands. Again, one of those borderline relegation teams. Not the best, not the worst. You can only wait and see what they do. Yeah, and the ceiling is like 10th. Yeah, that's, that would be impressive if they got 10th. In all honesty, yeah. I'd be surprised. And now lastly, the last team, the Wolverhampton Wolves, a.k.a. our school's soccer logo. Shout out Shout whatever out school we went to. Shout out Academy. There we go. That's better. That's better than saying our real high school. Shout out Academy. So, guys – Let's talk about Wolves. They were definitely the big team last year, making a lot of noise, really scaring a lot of the big six clubs. The question is, is, is that can they repeat this performance or are they going to start selling off guys just so that way they can, you know, make that money? I got Wolves as my dark horse team. I mean, okay, think about think about it this way. Wolves are like their whole team is Portuguese. So they got the chemistry, especially with like you <laughs> going on right now. Like the all, like this is the best preseason they could have asked for. Like the whole Portugal national team is just Wolves players and they just get to play with each other. I got Wolves doing really well and then that big signing of Fabio Silva. Oh, yeah. I think he's going to be really good for them and I've seen some tape on him. He's like 6-1 or something. I think that means that uh, Wolves are going to switch up their formation to allow Sylvia and Jimenez, excuse me, to play together. I mean, they might sell Jimenez, to be honest. But, yeah, I can see a T-Striker formation. Is it because he's not Portuguese and it's because he's – am I correct on this, that he's Mexican yeah. international? Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. cool. I didn't. I, I would have felt really bad if I got that one wrong. Yeah, they're racist against me. Yeah, I know, right? Cancel William Guy. We've canceled two people so far this Cancel podcast. William Guy 2015. Yeah. 2015. 2015. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I like Wolves. I like Wolves. Yeah, I I like Wolves too. 
I forget who did I say that they should replace Joe Matinho with earlier. Oh, I don't know. Oh, um, Pogba. Did you say Jack Grealish? Yes, yes. Mm. But he's not Portuguese, so this he doesn't is work. not Portuguese. And Joe Matinho. He's English. It's one of the two. So, yeah, you know what they, you know who they should get Renato Sanchez, so they can <laughs> Renato Sanchez revive his career. That would be can, can we honestly just make Wolves uh, Portuguese international team number two? Can we just yeah. make they sign Ronaldo yeah. next? Yeah, they got to sign Ronaldo and they're set. Go sign like uh, Quasimero and his a thousand. Quasimero. <laughs> and um, that, really yeah. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I mean, their their backline. They lost um, what's his uh, the guy that Tottenham signed. Um, oh, Matt Doherty. Doherty. But he was playing wing back. That's not that's not like the center backs right where it's important. Back. But then Donker, Connor Cody, and and Bali have been like the best center back group in the league, or they were last year. I I mean I just I trust Wolves. I think their their floor is eighth. I I don't I just I don't see them the having floor. the best. The floor it's is spicy. Eighth. So yeah. what, what is wow? So well, that's ooh, that's a What's hot ceiling, man. I, don't I think yeah. I think I think they could surprise. They could end up higher. I get, fifth. I could see them finishing fifth. I think their ceiling I mean, is sixth, and their, and their floor, floor is, is not. <laughs> yeah, their, the, their ceiling is sixth, and their uh, floor is sixth. No. <laughs> Listen, I, mean, I think the floors finish sixth. That's impressive. I think that wolves with the success that they've had in the back line with the constant talk of Adama Traore, Jimenez, they need to sell players that are due to regress. Adama Traore is, I just Googled it, is 24 years old, I'm pretty sure, unless Google's lying to me. And Jimenez is a bit older, I think like 28, 29, 27 maybe. So they should look into selling some of these players that are still hot off the stove in order to invest for the future. Their coach who came in 2017 got them into the Premier League and seems like he's the guy. Like they don't they don't really need to worry about that. So I could see him having a full-on Leicester-like kind of, maybe not winning the league, but that sort of uh, promoting yourself to a mid-table uh, team if they sell the players that are going to probably do worse later on and invest in the in the youth. They've definitely got some attention um, after should, last season. We should season. clarify, invest in Portuguese youth. That's what you got to yeah, specify. Exactly. You got to remember Portugal. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they won the Euro Cup, so they're the best team in the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they That's how that works. Yeah. They're yeah. so good. They need to sign Pepe from retirement. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I hate yeah. Pepe. All right. Well, we've gone through all the teams, guys. Now it's time very quickly. Give me your top four. Give me who's the bottom three, and then who's the dark horse team. Ito, we're going to start with you. Ito, who's sure. your top four? Honestly, I'm pretty boring, but I got the same top four that finished this year. I got Liverpool winning it again. Mm-hmm. And then it's a toss-up for me. I'm going to stay consistent and say Chelsea takes that second-place spot over City. Mm-hmm. And City at third, and then United at fourth. That's impressive. All right, and then who do you got being relegated this year? Relegated, Fulham goes back down. Sorry, Fulham. Uh, West Brom just looks like trash. And then Brighton also looks like trash. So those three, I'd say. All right. And then, and then who's your dark horse team? I it I alluded to it earlier, but I think Wolves. The Portuguese thing is really exciting me. I'm not going to lie. I think they got 
I think they they can get like a a fifth sixth place finish. Okay, that would be very impressive back to back seasons for Wolves. Simon, on to you now. Who's your top four? So my top four, I would say my my Premier League winner is a toss up between Manchester City and Liverpool, but I'll give the edge to Pep Guardiola and his uh, super team. I think that they're going to finish in first. In second place, we have Liverpool. In third place, I'm going to go with Chelsea just because the attack has been so bolstered up. And in fourth place, I'm going to give it to Arsenal because Arsenal in fourth place go better together than bread and butter. All right. Sounds about right. And then who is your bottom three this season? My bottom three in uh, not really any particular order, Crystal Palace, Southampton. Interesting. Southampton is going to drop from 11th to the bottom. Yeah. It's, a tough, it's a tough battle in the bottom. And my last relegated team is probably going to be Fulham. And who is your dark horse this year? My dark horse this year is going to be Everton. Yeah, I mean, with those yeah. signings, it's with the, those signings, it's a good I mean, dark horse pick to have. Hamez to Everton just blows my mind, and I think they can do it with uh, the squad that they have right now. And Carlo Ancelotti, I think this is the smallest team he's coached in his uh, in his head coaching career. I might illustrious be mistaken. Career. Yeah, illustrious, but like that man has some experience under his belt. Cole, on to you now. Who's your top four? bottom three, and your dark horse? I think it's really going to depend on whether or not City get Koulibaly. I think they will, so I'm just going to go under the assumption that they do. Yeah, same with me. Sorry to interrupt, but... Yeah, because if, if they don't sign Koulibaly, I think Liverpool, across the back, have the best left back, right back, and one of the center backs in the league. So defensively, they're solid. Um, but I, I think I'll give the edge to City if they do sign Koulibaly, because I think a center back of that level fixes all of their defensive problems, similarly to what Van Dyke did for Liverpool a couple of years ago. Um, and then Kevin De Bruyne is the best attacking midfielder on the planet. And I, I, I think with, with City's attacking options, it really doesn't matter who plays up front. They are going to get just the, the best chances created by Kevin De Bruyne. So I'm going to give it to City, put Liverpool at two. Um, I think... I, I think with Chelsea's transfer window, it would be naive not to give them third. Um, and then for fifth, uh, for fourth and fifth, I think it's going to be between Arsenal and Man hey, No fifth. No fifth. Top four. We don't care about Europa. Just because you guys have been in it the past couple of seasons doesn't mean we have to care about it. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give it to Arsenal only because I'm trusting in Arsenal's defensive project more than I am trusting Man U's defensive project. Now, who are your bottom three this year? Um, I think it's going to be Palace at 18, West Brom at 19, Fulham at the bottom. Those sound good. And who's your dark horse this year, Cole? I mean, I wouldn't really call them a dark horse, but I think Wolves, I think, is going to be a team that will sneak into the top six. So mm-hmm. I'm going to pick Wolves. Top Ewan? six. That's spicy. Top six, you know, at their floor of eighth. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all right so my top four I have City winning it I don't know I just have this feeling that Pep Guardiola hates losing and I feel like like Simon was saying he's gonna be sitting in his like soccer dungeon 
drinking his yerba mate, thinking up ways in which he will never lose ever again. I think Chelsea comes in second. I think they're just too good to not come in second. I think Timo Werner is going to hit the ground running, uh, and he's going to be in the golden boot race for most of the season. Uh, I'm going to put Liverpool third because I feel like while they are still one of the best teams, I feel like they'll have a strong start and then they'll peter off midway through just tired legs. I feel like there might be an important injury uh, either to Van Dijk or to either Mane or Salah. Then that's just sort of like natural to happen after you run as hard as you do in Klopp's system and you do it for however many years. It's sort of inevitable that someone gets injured. And then I'm going to put United at four. I trust, I trust United's streakiness to streak longer, if it makes sense. I trust their good streaks to last longer than they did last season. They're going to become more consistent. Yes, but they're still going to be streaky. Yes. All right. Um, here's your bottom three. Bottom three, we have Sheffield in 18th. I've already talked about why. I just feel like they've lost so much talent and consistency in this one window that it'll be a tough ask for them to stay up. But I feel like they'll be fighting in it till the very end. Villa coming in 19th. Jack Grealish isn't enough to keep him up. You know, I don't trust anyone else they have, really. And then I got Fulham at the very bottom. They have, they're going to have such a bad season, man. Maybe one of the worst you've ever seen from a 20th place team. And then who's your dark horse this year? Who do you got? Leeds. I'm putting some trust in them being maybe like 12th to 9th area. I think they can probably hover and give some big teams some tough times. All right, so my top four, uh, I got Chelsea winning it all this year. I think that they have the magic, definitely, uh, especially with all these signings. I think it's going to be very tough for defenses to try to figure them out and break them down, especially with what they've done on their defensive side of the ball, that if Kepa is their only weakness, if Kepa shows any sign of improvement, this team is going to be insanely tough to beat. But Man City and Liverpool still have better attacks. I don't. I think that Chelsea's got the youth. I think that they've got, you know, just a lot more fun in them. Even yeah, though but, I can't say that when you have Man City and Liverpool where they're the most fun to watch. But Yeah, but Aguero, KDB, Sterling are well, all proven. Well, one has a Bernardo Silva and the other Rian one Mahrez. Okay, actually, yeah, you actually discount here. everything I just said. Let's hear See, what else you got. I, I, bring up, I bring up Pulisic. I win every year. I love it. America. It's over. No, I uh, I like Chelsea just being a surprise. Like, since we really all started following the Premier League, how many times has the team we expected to win the title really have won the title? Maybe twice, and that's been the past. Or I guess three times, and that's been the past three years. Uh, I get it right every time. You got the Leicester one right. Oh yeah, of course. I can see yeah. it from a million miles away. You should have told me. I would. We would have should have bet on it. We should have got uh, some money on that. I'm sorry, man. I don't have we could any have been money. Rich. We could have been so rich. <laughs> anyway, I have Liverpool finishing second. Uh, in third, Man City. And then fourth, just because I like to make you guys suffer, I think Tottenham's going to finish fourth. I mean, the, the, the only reason why I actually don't have them higher is, A, I'm realistic. But since Mourinho came on, they were one of the best teams in the Premier League. I mean, he took them from 14th to almost a Champions League spot if they didn't remember how to – if they remembered how to play soccer at some point, it would have been great. Could have finished in fifth, but they forgot how to play soccer for a little bit. But they were one of the best teams when Mourinho took over or after Mourinho took over. And I really believe that Mourinho can make this team good for another year. 
and then we'll all fall apart and everything bad will happen. And but I, this time in this season, I'm going to be optimistic. Uh, my bottom three relegated uh, Aston Villa. I think besides Grealish, they got nothing. I actually think Crystal Palace is going to stay up, unlike a lot of you guys. I think that they still have enough talent to hold up compared to other teams like West Brom and Fulham. But those are my other two relegation is West Brom and Fulham. They're both going down. They don't have nearly the talent or experience that Crystal Palace has. So I think that's why Crystal Palace stays alive again for another season. But that's pretty much it. And then my Dark Horse team, you guys kind of took all the fun ones, but I guess I'll just say Everton again. Uh, as every year, I'm very optimistic that Everton's going to be good. So I'm hoping I'm right this year. Probably going to be six, sixth or seventh. If Everton gets seventh, I will be very happy. But I, you can't even call them a dark horse team, but I would rather have liked to have said Leicester. I think Leicester is going to really surprise people and finish. But they're I Premier think, League champs. They're, they're Premier League cha- champs, something that Tottenham cannot say. So True. There we are. Well, that's it for the Premier League. Uh, thank you guys for joining. This is the What Are We Doing podcast. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, please like and subscribe and, you know, leave a comment, leave some questions. We'd love to hear your guys' opinions. And as always, thanks for joining.